Go ahead and take your Bibles with me and turn to the tiny letter of Philemon. Philemon is where we're going to be, I thought maybe two weeks, but it turns out that it'll probably be more like five, just because that's the way we do things around here. 25 verses, five weeks, that seems about right. Mark asked me earlier this week, he said, how long do you think I'd loaded a couple weeks into Planning Center and he said, how long do you think you'll be there? And I said, well, I think as few as two, but as many as five. It's not six. So we're going to take a few weeks and, and think about this letter. Philemon is sandwiched in your Bible between the book of Titus, a personal letter that Paul writes. Titus and then the book of Hebrews. We're not sure who the, uh, who the author of Hebrews is. Um. However, this personal letter that's given to us by Philemon, or to Philemon from Paul, sandwiched between the book of Titus and the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is relatively large, so if you see that book, you've probably gone a little too far. Only 25 verses. It doesn't even constitute the breaking up into multiple chapters. Only 25 verses here, so we're just going to read the whole letter. Each week as we look at this, we're just going to read the whole letter together. So take a look. 25 verses. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart." I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yet, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, 
Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So why are we going to the book of Philemon? Why would we go to this tiny letter um, in the New Testament? Well, I think that there are a few reasons, and I'm going to give you these at the beginning. We're going to run through five things very quickly here, and we're going to get into the meat of what's going on in this letter. First, this letter is very unique. It's a very unique letter. It's kind of a friend-to-friend, peer-to-peer relationship that Paul has with Philemon. That's pretty uncommon for a New Testament letter. Most of Paul's letters are to groups of people or to churches. Most of the other letters, most of the other epistles in the New Testament are also to groups of people or to churches. And so when he does write to one person, it's usually to a church leader. If the, the page before, you'll see Titus. That's to a church leader or to Timothy, that's to a church leader. And it comes across heavy with instruction for the local church. But this is much more personal. It's very unique in that. So this letter, I think, becomes instantly relatable. And as we explore sort of the background of the letter, uh, we'll see that more clearly. Secondly, this letter causes me to, to really be amazed at the intimacy experienced by Christian brothers. This letter causes me to be amazed by the intimacy experience between Paul and between Philemon, but then also we'll see as we go through it and spend our time here by Onesimus. And again, we'll talk about the background, but this is a full-on as iron sharpens iron situation for the Apostle Paul. Third, this letter represents a difficult conversation. Paul doesn't shy away from from, uh, from addressing a tough situation, but rather he applies the gospel without hesitation. So this letter represents a difficult conversation. We'll talk about that also. Fourth, there is so much help for us in our own personal relationships here. So much help for us in our own personal relationships. Paul and Philemon and Onesimus have some really interesting dynamics and needed wisdom in how they should approach their unique circumstances. We can all relate to that. We can all relate to the fact that oftentimes we have difficulty and there's strain upon our personal relationships and we need wisdom. Probably more than anything on this earth, we need wisdom in how to, how to handle certain situations with certain people. Finally, and for now, uh, we see a peculiar providence in this letter. A peculiar providence. What do I mean by that? Those are some words that we don't often use that don't really grace our vocabulary that often. God provides in strange ways. That's what I mean by that. God provides in strange ways. And I don't mean like in with money or material, um, although that's on the table. I'm talking about, and Paul is talking about, a, a providence, a providing for our own souls. And as Paul says it twice in this letter, in verse 7 and then again in verse 20, a refreshing of the heart. So with those things in mind, Let's just explore the setting of this text. This text, again, a letter written, but it's written to a particular person at a particular time in a particular space. And so what's going on? The year is, the year is 62, 62 AD. Philemon, the man who the letter is addressed to, is rich. He's a rich man. He has a lot of means. He's a homeowner, and therefore he's a slave owner. And for several years, he lived in Colossae. You remember the book? Good, the letter to the Colossians, just a little bit before this letter pops up. He lived in Colossae and was active there uh, in the local church. And he opened up his home 
to the church, right? He, in Paul's address, he says, Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. He opens up his house to the local church. Much like we're meeting right now, probably a similar sized crowd would have met in his house, gathered each Sunday to pray, to sing, to read scripture. And we find out in this early portion of the letter that Philemon loved the church. He loved the people of God. That wasn't always the case for Philemon. About 10 years earlier, Philemon had met Paul and the two became friends. Both men were about 100 miles west of Colossae in a city called uh, Ephesus. Paul spent about three years in Ephesus planting a church. And Philemon trusts Jesus in that time frame at some point. He trusts Jesus and grows in his relationship with Paul. And also during those three years, there's this man named Epaphras that we see in verse 23. Paul addresses him and says he's actually with him as a prisoner. This man named Epaphras also met Paul, was trained and moved to Colossae to plant a church. Paul had never been to Colossae, had never been, uh, visited the, the church in, in Colossae. But Philemon had grown to love the church in Ephesus and wanted to see the same thing happen in Colossae. We don't exactly know why he decided on that city. We don't exactly know why. Maybe Philemon was just missionary-minded and desired to see the gospel impact the broader region. Maybe he had lived there previously and wanted his friends and family to hear the gospel. Maybe he and Epaphras had struck up a friendship, and when Epaphras decided to go plant a church there, Philemon said, I'll come with you, brother. But whatever the case, Philemon decides to move to Colossae to see the church grow and flourish in that city. And since Philemon was rich, he probably had a big house, again, to fit enough people in it to, to have a corporate worship setting. And in order to run a big house as a rich man, you had slaves. One of Philemon's slaves mentioned in the letter, his name is Onesimus. Onesimus was not a happy slave. He wasn't a happy slave. And maybe as he watched people come in and out of Philemon's house Sunday after Sunday, he grew bitter at the joy that they exuded. There was this eclectic group of people, and they had joy. And he was not pleased. He was not content with where he found himself. Having a bunch of people in Philemon's home meant more work for Onesimus, meant more serving, meant more messes to clean up. And early Christians would have always been talking about their freedom, freedom from sin, freedom to live as God intended, freedom to live as kingdom citizens. But Onesimus was not free, and then these people made these messes that he had to clean up, and on top of that, they were always talking about things he didn't and frankly couldn't, in his mind, have. And so it all got to be too much for him, and he wanted out, so Onesimus ran away. Now, if you're a slave in the Roman Empire and you ran away, there was one place that you would go. You'd go to Rome. Because Rome was densely populated. There were lots of people there. You could blend in easily. The population was always turning over. There was always a group of people who were coming and going. And so he could remain anonymous, not be caught. But Onesimus didn't count on running into someone who knew Philemon. And this is the way that God works. And this is the peculiar providence. You don't have goosebumps. This is amazing. This is a peculiar providence. He runs into the Apostle Paul. Somehow, Paul is in jail. And somehow Onesimus, the slave, runs into him, gets connected with him. 
And Paul is in prison, so again, no idea how this happens, but it does. And Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus, and Onesimus believes. I'm sure after many conversations with Paul, Onesimus decides that he needs to go back to Philemon. He needs to rectify the situation. He needs to make it right with his master. And the penalty for, sin, or for slaves that ran away in, in, in the Roman Empire was, was very harsh. Onesimus would have realized this. At the very least, slaves who were caught were tortured, in a lot of instances killed. And I can imagine that the pressure of knowing that he could be tortured or killed would have caused Onesimus great anxiety. I don't know what human being wouldn't feel great anxiety over the threat of torture or death. But when he met Paul, he found something very different. Here's a man, Paul, who was in prison, who was not free, and Onesimus, who was for the very first time, in a sense, free. Onesimus saw that it would seem that Paul was actually the free one. And imprisonment didn't stop Paul from sharing the gospel with Onesimus or writing letters to the churches. Paul found a way to carry on his work regardless of the circumstance that he found himself in. And so when Onesimus trusts Jesus, he now realizes what he must do. He has to go back to Colossae and to Philemon. His relationship with Paul had grown. Paul says even like a father and like a son. To the point that Paul would love to keep Onesimus with him, but he realizes that he can't. And so the time comes. Paul has a couple of other letters to be delivered. One to the church that met in Philemon's home. And one to the church in Ephesus. And so Paul writes a personal letter to Philemon to accompany it to be delivered by Onesimus himself. And it's Onesimus' time to go. And he and a man named Tychicus, a member of the Colossian church, pack up for this long journey over sea and over land. The letter to the church in Ephesus is received by the elders there, and the letter to the church in Colossae is received by the elders there. And then Onesimus reaches the door of Philemon. Now, we don't have an account of what happens, but I'm pretty confident that Philemon received him in the way that Paul recommends to him. So I'm imagining here. But Onesimus, probably along the journey, asked Tychicus, Brother, would you come with me when I turn to my master? And in brotherly love, Tychicus would have said yes. And they arrive at the door and they knock. And I, I don't think that words would have been exchanged. I don't know if Philemon answered the door, if Aphia, his wife, or if Archippus, his son. And if, if it was Aphia or Archippus, they hurry off to get Philemon. And Philemon walks in the courtyard where Onesimus and Tychicus are standing. And Onesimus hands him the letter and Philemon begins to read it. And I can just imagine halfway through this letter, Philemon sits down. Because he reads, I'm sending him back to you, sending you my very heart. And Philemon finishes the letter and he looks up at Onesimus. And he says, I do have you back forever, not as my slave, dear Onesimus, but so much more than that, as my brother. And I'm led to believe again that Philemon received the words of Paul and received Onesimus and loved him like a brother. And I can imagine that if that were not the case, Philemon would have buried, burned the letter or thrown it away, 
And we'd have no record of this. But I think when Paul's letter that was intended and addressed to the church in Colossae was read to the church and worshipped the following Sunday in Philemon's house, I think that this letter probably was read with it also. And that Onesimus was received by his new family, the church in Colossae. And I, I'm amazed at this because it's, it, it really is so incredibly realistic, so grounded in the world that we live in. Sometimes we think of Paul, and when Paul writes a letter, we think of this guy stomping around and pointing fingers and chests. That's the way I oftentimes read Paul. Peter walked with Jesus and says that Paul is pretty tough to understand. But when we have this letter, it's an outpouring of love for two different men who are at odds with one another. And there's so much here to be explored. That's why we're taking five weeks. We're taking five weeks because there's a lot here to be explored. Think about these few, few ideas now. Let's just consider four through seven, just these verses here. Well, actually, we're going to consider the whole letter, but consider four through seven specifically now. We see Paul's gratitude for Philemon and three things in particular that happened through Philemon. The first that we're going to explore is love for God and others expressed. The second is that faith is shared. And the final thing this morning that we'll think about is that hearts are, are refreshed. So we'll take those in turn. The first is, through Philemon, love for God and others is expressed. If we do go back to verses 1 through 3, we see sort of the standard greeting that Paul, we get from Paul in almost every letter. Timothy is with Paul, he says in verse 1. Timothy is with him in his imprisonment. And then he addresses Philemon, and again his wife Aphia, and Archippus his son, probably his son. And Paul also says, and the church in your house. Now this letter is clearly for Philemon. It's clearly given for Philemon because he wants to exhort him and even command him, if we can use that word that he uses, that Paul uses. It's clearly for Philemon, but in the verse, in verse 3, when Paul writes, Grace to you and peace from, our God, or from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That grace to you is, is plural, meaning, meaning, Aphia and Archippus and the church that meets in his home. He addresses it to them all. Why would he do that? And when we get to verse 4, then the personal pronouns there they move to uh, singular, addressing Philemon only, but previously in the greeting, they're plural. Which means this information after this point is for Philemon, but before it is for everyone. Paul understands that Philemon has great love for his family and for the church. And this great love that he has for his family and for the church, he wants Onesimus to come in underneath that umbrella. Philemon's identity is, is not as an individual, but it's wrapped up intimately in the lives of his community of faith. So he addresses his letter, Paul addresses this letter to Philemon, also to his family and to his church. 
Now, there are some pretty direct implications for us here. Like, what if that was us? What if we were receiving this letter from Paul? We have to ask the question, is our life wrapped up in our church family? And for some of us, the answer is yes. But for others of us, it's going at all of this with just a, it's just Jesus and me attitude. And this is never the sentiment that Paul or any other of the other New Testament authors communicate in the New Testament. Paul has never been to this church. He has never visited this people. He knows a handful of people who have been intimately involved. Obviously Philemon. Obviously Epaphras who went and planted the church. Obviously now Onesimus. I mean, and there are several people that Paul is intimately acquainted with, and yet he has never been part of this expression of the local church in Colossae. He's never been there. And friends, I think that sometimes as the church, we think we probably make this stuff up about being together in relationship and community and all of those sorts of ideas, but nothing could be further from the truth because embedded with almost every letter in the New Testament and every text, we see an intense, an intense emphasis on togetherness as the local church. The portrait we see of Philemon is someone who is striving with all his might to carry out the command to love God and to love neighbor. And so the question that flows out of this is, how are you engaged in the life of the Buffalo City Church? Our first answer should not be, if we're thinking about how we're engaged in the life of the church, our first answer should not be, well, I play music on Sunday morning, or I, or I make the coffee, or I serve with BCC kids. Our first response should be, I am striving to what Paul says at the end of verse 7, refresh the hearts of the saints. In the letter that Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he writes that hearts would be knit together. He desires for hearts to be knit together. And hearts that are not knit together or even acquainted with one another are not refreshed by one another. And in fact, hearts are demoralized or weighed down when we choose not to make eye contact or smile at someone we don't know or someone that we do know on a Sunday morning. In our isolation from the body of Christ throughout the week, it's a, just a Jesus and me type attitude wears out the church and does not refresh hearts. I think that we can adequately make that statement based on the inverse of what Paul is talking about with his beloved brother Philemon. And some of us have said, I don't like to be around these people more than I have to. I checked my Sunday morning box and I, I moved on with my week. But the fact of the matter is, if you identify with Buffalo City Church and if you trusted Jesus, you exist to refresh the hearts of the people of Buffalo City Church. In other words, you exist to love your neighbor. Our society hates awkwardness right? That word gets used a lot. Maybe it's just my generation. Maybe the generation. We, we just don't like awkwardness. And I'm going to tell you why, <laughs> or why I think we hate awkwardness. It's because everyone feels like they should have the right to have social interactions on their terms. 
I think the reason that we, after we have a conversation with someone, we say, well, that was awkward, is because it wasn't part of, it wasn't on our terms. And I'm convinced then this is why social media is so, so popular in our society because you get to, on social media, have any interaction that you want on your own terms. And we shy away from certain people because they're awkward. Can, can, we, can we get past that? Can we move beyond that in this room? Can we move past that? People are different from you. They have different likes and dislikes. They were raised in different settings. They have different political views. Their income brackets are different than yours. Their kids present unique challenges, so on and so on and so on. The question really is then, why are we so worried about what others think about us? Answer that question is another question. Are you a child of God? That person next to you on your right or your left? If if he or she has trusted Jesus, that person is too a child of God? And I ask the question, But I'm kind of doing that in the spirit of what Paul says in verse 8. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I'm preferring to appeal to you, but I am bold enough to command you. It's not really a suggestion. Because our selectivity in who we engage is disobedience to the command to show no partiality or bias. James 2.1, here it is. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Show no partiality, imperative. Show no partiality, imperative is a command. Show no partiality. So we must get past what we perceive to be awkwardness, meet someone new, invite someone over who isn't in your age demographic, Care for and love all of the children of God at Buffalo City Church. We take our cue from Philemon. We take our cue from Philemon. Paul commends the love and faith he has both towards Jesus and towards his brothers and sisters in Christ. And then Paul expands on, look at verse 5, Paul expands on, or 6, I'm sorry, look at verse 6, he expands on the hope that he has for Philemon's love and faith that he has towards this, toward Jesus and to the saints in Colossae. He expands on it by saying these words, and I pray that the sharing of your faith. Philemon has a lot of this going on, sharing of faith, sharing of faith. Now, In our society, this phrase, sharing of faith, has become a, well, I share the gospel with an unbeliever. Sharing of faith. That's not at all what's intended. Maybe you have a different translation. Maybe you see partnership there. Partnership would probably be a more effective translation just because of the way that this this idea, that these words have been taken together in our society, in our Christian culture. Paul is not limiting this idea to sharing the gospel with an unbeliever. In fact, this is a much bigger, broader understanding. The word sharing that we see in the ESV is the same word that where we get our word fellowship, where we get our word partnership, where we get our word generosity, where we get our word commonality. 
So when we look at this, we could Im import the word very easily, and maybe your translation does, we could import the word very easily, fellowship. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become more effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, fellowship isn't a hall in a church where you have a potluck. That, that's kind of what it's become. We talk about the weather when we go to the fellowship hall. Fellowship, on the other hand, is a deep connection shared in Christ. Again, all of these terms are contained here. Fellowship, partnership, commonality, generosity. Fellowship is not an event, but the going at life together, firmly fixed in the truth of the gospel. And I'm convinced that very few of us have experienced true Christian fellowship, although we may have attended a fellowship. And Paul chooses to say that this sharing uh, or fellowship is of faith. So fellowship divorced from belief in Christ is not fellowship, partnership, or commonality, or generosity, but loose connections that ebb and flow with church trends and cultural fads. And it's just a term, and it's just as the term sharing or fellowship has lost kind of its true meaning, so has the word faith. It has become this ethereal concept that only comes into play when you're not really quite sure what's going on in your world. And you say something like, well, you just got to have faith. Or it becomes synonymous with your worldview or belief system. Or just holding to my faith. But Paul has faith in Jesus Christ in view. This belief that's rooted in the promises of God given to us in Scripture. Promises of God that find, that find their yes in Christ Jesus. This is not a flaccid cultural platitude, but firm, fixed trust that the God-man Christ Jesus has restored God's children back into right standing with the Father. So what does the sharing of faith like Philemon look like? Well, several things. I think we can glean directly from Philemon's life. Opening his home. Listening to one another. Being generous with one another. I went round and round if I was going to say this. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Side note. This is something that I, I, I need you. If, again, Paul says, I'm speaking as a crazy man in other places in the New Testament. Maybe you'll think of me as speaking as a crazy man right now. Or maybe you think I'm crazy all the time. That's fine too. But as a side note, that this last week, was an event that was heavily publicized around our city and around our state. It was Giving Hearts Day. I am really grateful for something like Giving Hearts Day. I really am very grateful for something like Giving Hearts Day. But this is where the craziness comes in. I'm also saddened that it takes a formalized, publicized event to, keep, to get people to think about generosity. We have people in our midst who are in need of financial help. But because of who we are, 
because we struggle with these concepts of togetherness and being together and opening up and being around people and refreshing hearts. It's oftentimes easier to write a check and drop it in the mail or click a link in the internet than to take time to really invest and to find out who really is in the, in our, in the midst this morning in need of financial help. These are the people to your left and your right this morning who are in need. And like I said, I'm grateful. Don't, don't hear me say that that is bad. But hear me say that there are people here on your left and your right who need your help. And that's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen if we come into this space and we don't make any type of meaningful connections Okay, craziness aside. Sharing faith also means, the way that Paul writes about Philemon here, sharing faith also means opening up, sharing our own heart with other people. And that takes a lot of work in a, in a private society. Even the people with whom we're closest people with whom you're closest outside of maybe your immediate family, you maybe get a couple of hours with them every week. And so that requires a significant amount of intentionality. And it means not skipping out on Sunday morning worship or other opportunities to be together with other believers when we feel like it's not convenient. David Mathis in his book, Habits of Grace, writes this just about fellowship in general. When our fellowship is not simply a network of loose Christian relationships, but anchored in a particular covenant community as committed members together in a local outpost of Christ's kingdom, we come closest to experiencing what those first Christians did. When people didn't just drift in and out of the community, but were either in or out. And those who were in were pledged to be the church for each other through thick and thin. Good chance, just like our conversation a moment ago about generosity, good chance the people on your left and your right are in the thick of it. And if we have loose Christian connection, that won't matter much to you. But if you are sharing faith, partnering together in trust, fellowshipping and being generous with one another in the, in the belief that Jesus Christ is all that you need, then that person on your left and your right who's in the thick of it, their pain will be your pain, their suffering will be your suffering, their mourning will be your mourning, their joy will be your joy, their tears will be your tears. Their difficulty will be your difficulty, their affliction will be your affliction. Do you have relationships like that? If yes, you're beginning to understand what Paul is writing to Philemon. If no, I pray that you would. This is what we should strive for as followers of Jesus. Love for God and love for others. And when that love is established in the church, when that love is established in the church, when we get to verse 7, hearts are refreshed. And this is our final point. And we'll go back to the big overarching story because it's what ties this all back in together for us. Philemon was a constant source of refreshment for his brothers and sisters in Colossae. 
And when Onesimus showed up at Philemon's door after running away, Paul saw this as a God-provided opportunity for the church in Colossae to be refreshed through Philemon. The hearts of the saints are refreshed by Philemon. And here, with Onesimus on his doorstep, in his courtyard, is another opportunity for an amazing testimony to the love of Jesus being displayed through Philemon. To watch a man who, Philemon, who by every right had or could have been angry and even vengeful towards his slave for running away, but instead of the standard response, Philemon has the chance to welcome this slave back, not as a slave, but as a brother. Does that not refresh your heart? It should, because in the other letter that Onesimus and Tychicus delivered that would probably be read in Philemon's home, the letter to the Colossian church, Paul writes, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled. When reconciliation happens between brothers, it makes much of the reconciliation that has happened between God and you. Onesimus was alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, both against God and against Philemon. But Jesus' work on the cross, the good news of the gospel, made it possible for Onesimus not only to be reconciled with God, but to be reconciled with his brother Philemon. And Philemon receiving Onesimus back as a brother and not as a slave would testify to the reconciliation offered in Jesus and refresh the hearts of the church in Colossae once again. The reality is hearts are not refreshed. Hearts are not refreshed by words only. This is a deep, understanding of reconciliation because it required a bringing back into right relationship with Philemon and Onesimus through word, but then also with which the way that they lived. Hearts are not refreshed through words only, but through partnership in the gospel, through watching others care about the gospel so much that it impacts everything that you do. Watching your brothers and sisters extend grace to a server by tipping generously when you are served poorly at a restaurant. Watching your brothers and sisters offer appropriate intentional correction to their children when they act out in public. Watching your brothers and sisters give their time and energy and money to others with no expectation of return. And there are brothers and sisters in our midst who could be such a source of encouragement and refreshment to you if you stepped outside of yourself, if you stopped worrying about what was awkward or how that brother or sister might be different from you. You think that when Jesus approached the woman at the well, that wasn't awkward? That's right, you've had many husbands before this one. And the man you're living with right now is not your husband. That's an awkward thing to say. 
You think Jesus healed a blind man in John 9 that wasn't awkward? Jesus spit in the mud and started rubbing it on the dude's eyes. If I was a disciple, I'd be squirming. Guys, that's weird, Jesus. It's so awkward. Allow your heart to be refreshed, to be a source of refreshment for others. Set aside your bitterness and frustration and complaining. Share in the deep fellowship with others. Move past the weather. It's hard at first. Philemon has an incredible opportunity to receive Onesimus back and refresh the hearts of his brothers and sisters. I'm convinced this is why John writes in 1 John 3, 16 through 18, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, this does not mean that we do not love others with our speech. What this means is that it must be accompanied by word or by deed and truth. Philemon had the world's goods. Onesimus was in need, not in just material way, but in forgiveness and reconciliation. And God's love abided in Philemon and it became a source of refreshment for his brothers and sisters. And what Paul will say again, verse 20, his own refreshment. Refresh my heart in Christ. And to hear of love like this that lays down rights and what is owed to show the world a the beauty of the person, the work of Jesus, that is what John is talking about. And Paul knows that the Colossians are not refreshed by Philemon's words only, but by the way that he lived amongst them. He's doing what John says in 1 John 3.18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but deed and in Truth. And that's Philemon's testimony. So we're at the end. We come to the conclusion. And as he finds himself, Paul's letter in hand, runaway slave in his courtyard, with an incredible opportunity to refresh Paul and his Colossian brothers and sisters, Philemon leads us to ask, we're just ask two questions of ourselves. First question. What opportunities do you have to refresh your brothers and sisters in Christ? What opportunities do you have to refresh your brothers and sisters in Christ? Have you positioned yourself in the lives of others to show people in this room the love of Jesus, not in word or talk, but in deed and truth? Do you share your faith? Do you partner in your belief? Do you have fellowship that's grounded in Christ? Are you generous with your whole self? Or do you wall your heart up? Do you wall yourself up? Keep people at arm's length because they're different or awkward. Buffalo City Church, may it be said about us that we love each other in the way that Philemon loves his brothers and sisters in Colossae. When we are knit together with other believers, our actions won't be about us or for us. Philemon understood that how he received Onesimus would impact his brothers and sisters. An incredible opportunity. What opportunities do we have to refresh our brothers and sisters in Christ? Second question. 
do you see, do you see your daily decisions, the decisions that you make day to day as important in the life of the local church? Do you see the decisions that you make in your day to day as important in the life of the local church? This is important. We've been so conditioned. We've been so conditioned to think that our decision-making process only affects us or maybe immediate family member or something like that. But that's not true. When we decide to be somewhere else or sleep in on Sunday, we do not refresh the hearts of the saints. We wear them down. You've made a decision that only considers us. When you ignore the Holy Spirit's promptings to call that person from community group because you know that they're having a tough week. You do not refresh the hearts of the saints. You wear them down. You made a decision that only considers you. When you leave the conversation at the weather with the person that you met on Sunday morning when they're struggling to load the groceries into the trunk of the car, You do not refresh the hearts of the saints. You wear them down. You've made a decision that only considers you. Paul says this very clearly to the Corinthians. You are not your own. What do you do? Honor, glorify God. How do you honor or glorify God? By loving your neighbor, by refreshing his or her heart in Christ. Now, going off script, I'm doing it. Some of you in this room feel like you're in a position where you deserve to be loved by other people, but you're not, you don't feel like you are being loved by other people. And your response is to turn inward, to be bitter, to be frustrated, to be angry. But we just came out of the Sermon on the Mount, and in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, it gives us the golden rule. Again, there's no caveats here. We are called to love our neighbor. And just like Jesus said to Peter in John 21, when Peter looked behind him and saw John, Peter says, Jesus, what about that one? Jesus says to him, don't worry about him. You've heard what I said. It's time for you to execute. And so for us in this room, we oftentimes take the commands that we see in Scripture and we apply them to everybody but ourselves. We must stop. We must stop doing that. say, well, if just someone reached out to me, I'd be much more inclined to reach out to someone. That's not what this is about. Do not wait to refresh the hearts of the saints. Do not wait. This week, look for opportunities to refresh the hearts of the saints. Look for opportunities to love your neighbor. There is nothing greater that we can do as a church than love one another. There is nothing greater that we can do as a church than love one another. Nothing greater preaching on a Sunday morning, playing music up front, making the coffee, serving with the kids. There is nothing greater that we can do in the context of the local church than love one another. 
we should, with all our energy and effort, be seeking to understand and know what it means to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul gives us this big long list and all of this instruction about, about spiritual gifts. And when he comes to the end of all of that instruction, he says, let me show you a better way. Let me show you a better way. There is a better way. You can serve the body as one of its members. You can serve in all of these ways and you really should. It's good. It's great. It's wonderful to understand what you're gifted at and to give back and serve in the local church. But at the end, at the end of chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, let me show you a better way. And then he talks about love. You all know 1 Corinthians 13. It's probably read at your wedding. He talks about the better way. The better way is love. I think it's so fitting that Paul writes this letter to Philemon and that we have this situation, peculiar providence again. God providing for our souls and refreshing our hearts in ways that we never saw coming. It's so fitting that this letter was written to Philemon because Philemon's name means affectionate. It means affectionate. So in essence, Paul writes, Dear affectionate one, I hear of your love and the faith that you have to the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Let's genuinely show affection for one another. Now, dudes, that sounds scary. I get it. It's not. It's not scary. Let's genuinely show affection for one another. When one is affected, he or she becomes affectionate. When one is affected, he or she becomes affectionate. When someone moves on, when something moves on, or someone moves on, or grips the heart, we display love for that thing. When we are affected by the love of God shown to us in Christ Jesus, we are moved or affected to show that love or affection to others. When we are affected by the love of God shown to us in Christ Jesus, we are moved or affected to show that love or affection to others. So little children, just like John writes to his readers in 1 John 3, little children, with this man Philemon as our example and with Christ as our standard, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth through the sharing of faith, through generosity that flows from our trust, from partnership that is grounded in the gospel, that fellowship, through fellowship that extends outside of our comfort and commonality that is rooted much deeper than what meets the eye. Let's pray.